0: Om um, namo Bhagavate Sri ramanaya. Last time I talked about verses 21 and 22 of Upadesha Sāraha, so this time I'm going to begin from verse 23, and we'll see how far we go. This 23 is a particularly, well, all the verses, each verse is important in its own way, but this is a particularly important verse. Um... I'll first read the, the Tamil version and then the, the Sanskrit. In Tamil, what Bhagavan says is, Uludu Unara, Unavu Verin Uludu Unavahum Undipara, Unave namai Ulam undipara. That means uh, the, the the literal meaning of that is because of the non-existence of other awareness, to be aware of what exists what exists is awareness, awareness alone exists as we, we. Um, that is the bare meaning. But what that implies is because of the non-existence of any awareness other than what exists, to be aware of what exists, what exists is awareness. That is, if, if awareness was something other than what exists, Whatever is other than what exists, doesn't, obviously doesn't exist. So it would then be a non-existent awareness. So how could it know what exists? So the, the, any other awareness must be non-existent. So, but that's why Bhagavan says that the non-existent of any uh, any other awareness, any other awareness means any awareness other than what exists, to be aware of what exists, what exists is awareness. Uh, that, that is, um, if if existence was something other than what exists, it would be non-existent. If, if what exists was something other than uh, uh, awareness, it would not be aware. But the very nature of what exists is awareness. In fact, what exists is awareness. So this is a very, very important teaching Bhagavan gives us here but what actually exists is only awareness, because awareness cannot be anything other than what exists. Everything other than awareness appears only in the view of awareness. So it's, it's, it's dependent on awareness. But, but, but what exists is not an awareness but knows other things. It is the pure awareness. So uh, the very nature of what exists is awareness. Um. But, what an, but awareness knows nothing other than it's, I mean, I mean, what exists is awareness and it knows nothing other than itself because it, it alone is what exists, nothing else actually exists. Whatever else seems to exist appears only in the view of ego, not in the view of the pure awareness that is what exists. So what Bhagavan means here by Ulladu, what exists is Sat, and what he means by "unavu" is Chit. So what he's saying is, because of the non-existence of any chit other than sat, to be aware of sat, uh, sat itself is chit, is is basically the meaning here. Um, So Bhagavan is here uh, emphasizing the oneness of sat and chit, but what actually exists is only awareness, and awareness alone is what actually exists, whichever way we put it. So what is that awareness that alone actually exists? That awareness, as he says, unave namai ulam. That literally means awareness exists as we. But the, the word he uses therefore is uh, or exists, exists, is ullam. Ullam is actually the, uh, the first person plural f- form of the verb. So um, uh, nam ul- ulam means we are. So what Bhagavan implies here is though the subject is um is awareness, he's emphasizing that awareness is not a first person, it's the first person. So it exists as we. And though he says we, we is obviously a plural form, but in in Tamil, there are two form, there are two words for we: there's nam and nangal. Nam is inclusive. So if I'm talking to you. And I use the word nam, I'm including you. So I if I say um we are all devotees of Bhagavan, I say nam because I'm including you. But if I'm talking about myself as part of a, of a separate group, if I say, um, if I say, for example, I happen to be uh, um, though my heart is uh is wholly Bhagavan, this body happened to be born in um in uh, the United Kingdom, so I, I am uh, I am British. So if I'm talking, and you are all in Delhi, so you are all Indian. So if I'm talking to you, and I'm talking about uh, we British, then I talk. I use would use the word Nangal because I'm excluding you because you and you are Indian, not British. Uh, so the the exclusive. Uh, we, which is nangal, and the inclusive we, which is nam. So Bhagwan often used this inclusive we, nam, not because we are plural, but because it, that is, if Bhagwan had said I that would be excluding us. If he had said you, that would be excluding him. But he includes all of us as Nam. So that awareness is what exists as we. That, the, the implication is awareness is what is shining in the heart of each one of us as I am. That awareness is one. We seem to be many. Because we are looking outwards and we see all this multiplicity, and uh, we we take each body to be a different person, and within each body there is something shining as I. That which shines as I in each and every one of us, that is the awareness which is alone what actually exists. So, Bhag- this is a very important verse because Bhagavan is emphasizing here. But th- this is um, this is th- this. Uh, that what actually exists is only awareness, and we are nothing other than that. In other words, to put it in the language of the Upanishads, ekam eva there's one only without a second. And what is that one without a second? That is Tatvamasi. you are that. So we are that, and the nature of that one which alone exists is it is what actually exists and it is awareness. So it is sat and it is chit. So sat is chit, chit is sat. And we—that that is what we actually are. We are nothing but pure being and pure awareness. Pure being and pure awareness are not two things. They're one and the same thing. So in the Sanskrit version, how Bhagavan expresses the same idea, basika, sattva, uh, bhasikha chitkva var. Itara. that means uh where indeed um, uh, kva, uh, ba, uh, where indeed is um is another itara, a uh, chit another awareness to uh, illumine barica sattva the uh, uh, sattva here means existence or beingness so where is any awareness other than what exists, to, um, to illumine, to illumine means to make known. So how do we know that anything exists? Because we are aware and uh, that awareness itself is what actually exists. So where indeed is another awareness to illumine existence, they're not two things, existence on the one hand and an awareness that illumines it. Because if, if, if the awareness that illumines existence was something other than existence, it would be a non-existent awareness, and therefore it couldn't illumine anything. So this is a very simple and powerful argument Bhagavan is giving. But what exists is awareness, and awareness is what exists. That awareness alone is what actually exists. Um, and then he says um." as existence, is certainly awareness. What he means by sataya, as existence, is what shines as existence, what shines as sat, is certainly chit. That is, there, there's no sat above and chit, and there's no chit above and sat. They are one and the same. So when we talk about sat-chit, we are not talking about two things, we're talking about one thing. And that one thing that is called sat-chit is itself ananda. So we talk about sat Chid ananda But again, we're not talking about three things. We're talking about one thing. Sat is chit, chit is sat. Sat is ananda, ananda is sat. Chit is ananda, is ananda is chit. They're all one and the same thing. So our real nature is pure being, pure awareness, and pure happiness. And it's also called... Um, uh, asti Bhakti Priyam. Uh, asti means being, Bhakti means shining, that's the chitta aspect, and Priyam is the love aspect, that is the Ananda aspect. So love and happiness are one and the same. So what we actually are is pure being, pure awareness, pure happiness, and pure love. That is what we actually are. Um, so a- as he says in the final sentence, chitte he hi aham. Uh, what exists as awareness, well, it simply means as awareness is certainly I. That implies what exists as awareness or what shines as awareness is certainly I. What exists and shines as awareness is certainly I. So what exists and shines as sat is chit, and what exists and shines as chit is I. So Bhagavan is emphasizing what what are we actually? We are nothing but sat-chit. In the previous verse, he said, "What we are not," he said, "since the, sin body, m- mind, intellect, and darkness, darkness—they're referring to the, the darkness of desire, the pashyavasa, the anandamaya kosha—they um, are not I, uh, uh, na aham ekasat, for one, uh, the one existence, because that is not." Uh, uh, that jadam he asad, because that is non-aware and non-existent. That is, what we actually are is, is pure being and pure awareness. So whatever is not aware or not uh, does not actually is not ourself and doesn't actually exist. So since the since the, the five Shis are all jada, since they're jada, they're not aware, so they're not us, the one existence. Um, so there he's saying what we are not in verse 22. In verse 23, he's saying what we are. So this links back to the, what he said in verse 21. In verse 21, referring to what he had said in verse 20, what he said in verse 20 is, um, uh, uh, because there's... We, 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 there's a continuity running through all these verses. So to, e- to understand each verse fully, we need to understand in the context of other verses. So in verse 19, he had said, um, by investigating from where this eye rises, I falls, ah, I falls down. Ah, ah, aham mayam kuta bhavati chimbata aham. Nijavicharanam, that is, by investigating from where this I arises, I ah, falls down. This is Nijavicharanam, this is the self-investigation. And then in verse 20, he says, Ahami uh, bhaji on I undergoing annihilation. In other words, when I is annihilated, Aham hamteya as I am I, Spuruti hritswayam, the heart shines forth spontaneously as I am I. That is, ego is the false awareness. I am this body. I am this or I am that is ego. But our real nature, the heart, shines forth spontaneously. When ego dies, what remains as I am, that, that is the heart, That is shines forth spontaneously as I am I. In other words, I am nothing other than I. Um, uh, Paramapurnasat, this is Paramapurnasat, the supreme whole existence. And so, and then referring to this, he says in verse 21, uh, that is at all times. Uh well, he he say, he says, um, I'll read the, the, the Sanskrit, idam ahampada abhikya ham anvaha api aleya sataha. That means. This is what the word I always refers to, being indissoluble existence, even when I is dissolved. What he means by being indissoluble existence, even when I, when I is dissolved, it made slightly clearer in the Tamil version. In the Tamil version, he says, that is at all times the substance or the import of the word called I, because of the exclusion of our non-existence, even in sleep, which is devoid of I. When he says sleep is devoid of I, he means it's devoid of ego. There's no, there's no rising I of the ego. But even in the absence of the ego, we don't cease to exist. So we exist even in sleep. So the real import of the word I is not this ego, but that which exists in all the three states. That is that which always shines as I. That's why he refers to it in the pre- previous verse as I am I. Because what who who am I? I am only I. So that that fundamental awareness I am, which is what we actually are, it exists and shines in all the three states. So that alone is the true import of the word I. And then he says that uh, he in verse twenty-two, as I say, he says that the five sheaths are not I. Um, uh, because, because the five she's are, 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 are non aware, jada, and non existent, asat, they are not I, the one existence. Uh, na aham ekasat. We are the one existence. Uh, existence for one is, is only I. And everything else, whatever is not aware, doesn't actually exist because whatever is not, these five shis, the body is not aware of its existence. The mind, in the sense of uh, the, the perceptions, memories, thoughts, feelings, and so on, all these grosser aspects of the mind, these are all objects known by us, so they're not aware. The functions of the intellect are not aware. The vasanas that make up the, the anandamaya kosha, or will, the chittam, are, they are not aware. What is aware of all these things is only ego, but ego is neither chit nor jada. It is chit jada chit-jada-granti. But since since these th- since all these jada things since they are not aware, they are therefore not existent. Because whatever they, they're all the the five sheaths and indeed the whole world, in whose view do they all exist? Only in the view of ourself as ego. So they their semi existence. Depends upon the semi-existence of self as ego. But is ego what we actually are? If we were ego, we would have to exist in all the three states. But we don't exist in, ego does not exist in all the three states. Ego ceases to exist in sleep. But we don't cease to exist. That's why he says, because of the absence of our non-existence. So in the previous verse, he says, we do not cease to exist in sleep. So since we do not cease to exist in sleep, we are something other than this I, that rises in waking and dream and subsides in sleep. So the real import of word I, is is only that which exists in all the three states. And since these uh, five sheaves appear only in waking and dream and do not appear in sleep, They are just—they depend upon their for their seeming existence upon ego. Ego appears only in waking dream, not in uh, sleep. So it is not what we actually are. What we actually are is the one sat, the ekasat. And what is that ekasat? It is—it is nothing but awareness. Because if awareness was something other than sat, it would be a non-existent awareness, and therefore it would—it could not know uh, uh, sat. So sat is chit, chit is sat, and that is what we actually are. So all these verses are tied together. The next, well, verses twenty-four and twenty-five. These are a pair of verses. They have to be read together to fully understand what. Bhagavan, I mean, each, each verse stands on its own, but uh, they, are, they are they. If we read them together, we can understand the context in which Bhagavan is saying this. So in verse. 24, I'll read the Tamil first and then the Sanskrit. In Tamil, Bhagavan says, irukum abha undipara upadi unave verundipara. What that means is, by existing nature, God and soul are just one substance. Only adjunct awareness is different, is different. What that implies is, by their existing nature. That is because the real nature of each of them is what actually exists, uladu, which is pure awareness, Unavu. God and soul are only one substance. The substance, what is the substance they are? It is such it. It is the the fundamental awareness I am. Because I am is what exists and it is what is aware. And that is that is our existing, that's what Bhagavan refers to as our Irakiyaka, our existing nature. So in, our, in in our nature in our existing nature, that in our nature as such it as I am, we and God are just one substance, that, is, that one substance is such it. And then he says, Upadi unave veru. The awareness of adjuncts alone is different. That is, so long as we take ourselves, so long as we rise as ego, we take ourselves to be a set of adjuncts, namely these five sheaths that make up the person we seem to be. So long as we identify with these adjuncts, so long as we experience these adjuncts as I, we are not aware of ourselves as we actually are. So God's God, who is obviously much greater than this person we take ourselves to be. It seems to us to be something other than ourselves. But actually, in in his being nature, in his existing nature, he is nothing other than ourselves. So what exists and shines in God as I am is what exists and shines as as us in I am. That is what we actually are. Uh, why we seem to be something different from God, because we've attached ourselves to adjuncts. We take ourselves to be a certain set of adjuncts. I am this body. I am this mind with certain uh, perceptions and memories and so on. I have certain likes and dislikes. All these make up the person I seem to be. But am I this person? No. What I actually am is just the fundamental awareness I am. So in in our existing nature, we are one with God. But as a person, obviously, we are not one with God. God is not the little person we take ourselves to be. And so long as we take ourselves to be the little person, God seems to be someone other than ourselves. But actually, He's never other than ourselves. He is our own being, our own īrakamīkā. So in the Sanskrit version, He says uh, the same thing in slightly different words: "Īśa uh, jīva yo, base di bida, sat uh, that means between God and soul, the difference is only uh, Vesha-di. Vesha means costume. He, here he, Bhagavan is referring to our Upadis, that we take as the five sheaths. He's referring to it as a costume. It's, it's a mere Vesham. It's a mere disguise. It's not what we actually are. Um and uh, D means thought or, or 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 the awareness of uh, co- the, the what he what you refers to in Tamil as uh, upadi Unabu, the awareness of adjuncts, is what he refers to here as Vesadi. Uh d means literally means the old costume thought or the the, the the costume awareness. Um uh swabhavata by existence nature. Vastu substance is only one. So that, uh, that uh, if we expand that slightly, that what that means is between God and soul, the difference of a separation or a distinction is only Vaishadi, only the costume thought or the thought or awareness of their respective costumes, disguises or assumed appearances. That if this person we take ourselves to be is not our real identity; it's just a, a role we've assumed. We identify ourselves with this person as if this person is ourselves, but actually, this person is a costume. It's like if we um, if we uh, put on a military uniform, we may imagine ourselves to be a soldier, even if we're not a soldier. Just by putting on a uniform, we all feel like a soldier. Likewise, by putting on these Five sheaths, We now I, we now feel that we are these five sheaves. that is our experience, I am this body consisting of five sheaves, but that is not what we actually are. What we actually are is only the satwa Baba, our, our existence nature, our our, our, na- our real nature, which is just existence or being, as Bhagwan emphasized in the previous verse. Um, that is our substance. Um that is the substance that we actually are. That is the substance that God actually is. So in, uh, by our satsva bhava we and God are just one substance, is the meaning. So this is a very, very, very close to the meaning of Tamil. But as I said, this is a pair of verses. So in the next verse, what Bhagavan uh, says is, in Tamil he says, what that means is knowing oneself, leaving aside or letting go of adjuncts, is itself knowing God, because of shiny as oneself. That implies because God is shiny as oneself. So what what we now. What, that is, God is shining in our heart as I, in other words. So if we know ourself without any adjuncts, just as the pure I, that is self is knowing God. Um, in the, um, and knowing in this context means being aware of, being aware of ourself without adjuncts. In other words, being aware of ourself just as the pure I am, I am I, that is knowing God. Because God is what is always shiny as ourselves. So God is never anything other than ourselves. Because we rise as ego, limit ourselves as his body, God seems to be other than ourselves, but he is actually only ourselves. So in the um, in the Sanskrit version, he uses the same word Vaisha. Vaisha, as I say, it means for costume or disguise or what what we are uh, our uniform. Or we could say in military terms. Um so uh uh what he says in Sanskrit is Vaishahanata uh darshanam, Isadarshanam Svatma Rupataha. That means vaishahanata is by giving up costume, by by in other words, by by uh ceasing to identify ourselves with these five she, these adjuncts. Um uh so the costume what he refers to here is vesha the costume is uh, a disguise or assumed appearance in our, namely our upadis or adjuncts so by giving up uh, adjuncts seeing swapmandashum if we see ourselves without adjuncts we 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 see ourselves as we actually are so by giving up costume, uh uh one by giving up uh this this beisha, this costume that we've this disguise that we've assumed as I am so-and-so, seeing ourselves, that means implies seeing our real nature, seeing ourselves as we actually are, seeing our own self, that is isa darshanam, that is seeing God. That is, if so long as we see ourselves mixed and conflated with adjuncts, we seem to be a person. When we see ourselves without adjuncts, that is seeing God as He actually is, because our real nature, our uh, our um, our uh, swarupa, our, uh, our own real nature, Atma Swarupa, is nothing but God. So when we know ourselves without adjuncts as we actually are, that is knowing God. That is seeing God. Why? Uh, he says because of because of the form of one's own self is a literal meaning. Uh, that what it implies is because of God being the form or real nature of one's own self. Um, so uh, swatma rupataha implies swa, um, swarupa, our own atma swarupa, the real nature of ourself. That is God. So if we know ourself without the adjuncts, we are knowing God because God is our own real nature. So, in this verse 25, Bhagavan talks about seeing ourselves. In Tamil he says swatma dashanam. In Tamil he says tane um, uh, uh seeing uh, knowing oneself. In Sanskrit, seeing oneself. Seeing and knowing mean the same in this context. That is, seeing is used obviously metaphorically. We, we ourselves can never be an object of sight. So, seeing ourselves means being aware of ourselves as we actually are. Uh, So what does it mean? How can we be aware of ourselves as we actually are? How can we see ourselves as we actually are? This is what Bhagavan explains in verse 26. In the Tamil version, he says, Tānai iratalei tānai aridalam. Tāni rendātradal undipara. Uh, Sorry. uh, Yes. Tāni rendātradal undipara. Tānmaya nishtai idundipara. So uh, what uh, what this means is, means literally it means being as oneself. But in English we wouldn't say as we just say being oneself. Being oneself, Aridalam, that is knowing oneself. So being oneself alone is knowing oneself. Rendatradal, uh, because oneself is devoid of two. Uh, this is Tanmayanishta. What he means there is being oneself—that is, being as one actually is, without rising to know anything else—alone is knowing oneself, because oneself, self, in other words, one's real nature, is devoid of two. Uh, that is, it's devoid of the fundamental duality of subject and object, knower and thing known, and also devoid of any possibility of being divided as one as two selves, one self. As a subject to you know the other self as an object. That is, we can never know ourself as an object as some, because objects are all other than ourself. So uh, we we cannot we, since we cannot know ourself as a subject as an object. Sorry, we can know ourself as we actually are only by being ourself as we actually are. Why? Because our very being is awareness, is pure awareness, as Bhagavan said in verse twenty three. So by just being ourself. We are knowing ourselves. And we can, we, that is, we can know other things by an act of knowing. We cannot know ourselves by an act of knowing because we, we, no action is needed to know ourselves because we, are always, we always know ourselves. We are always aware of ourselves as I am. When we rise as ego, we seem to be something other than ourselves. But when instead of rising as ego, if we just remain as we actually are, that itself is knowing ourselves. So how to remain as we actually are, that is what Bhagavad explained in earlier verses. For example, in verses 8 and 9, in verse 8, what he says in, in the Tamil version is, "Aniya bhāvatin avanahamāhum ananya undipara undi That means, rather than anya bārba, ananya bārba, in which he is I, is certainly the best among all. These two terms, Anya-Bhava and Ananya-Bhava, um, we need to understand what they mean. Anya means what is other. So in this context, anya Baba means meditating on something other than ourselves. So if we take God to be something other than ourselves and meditate upon his name or form, that is Baba. But when we understand that God is that which is shining in our heart as I, we will we will be drawn to meditate on Him in our heart, as I. So, what he refers to as Ananya Bhava—that means meditation on what is not other, what is not other than ourself, only ourselves. So it implies meditating on ourself alone. In other words, being self attentive, that is certainly the best among all. And in the um, in the Sanskrit version, he says the same thing: "Bheda uh, Bhavanat." Um, uh, uh than the separating meditation, saha aham um, iti asau bhavana abhida the non-separating uh, meditation that is he as I, pavani um, mata is considered purifying. Um, in Tamil, he said best, it is best among all. In here, he says it pure in Sanskrit. He says it's purifying, in other words, what he implies is it's the most purifying of all the practices that he had described up to this point. Then in verse nine, he says in Tamil, he says, Baba Balatinal Baba Natita, rutale Undipara, Parabhakti Tatvam Undipara, that is, by the strength of. Uh, Bhāva. Bhāva here is referring to be Ananya Bhāva, in other words, the self-attentiveness. So by the strength of self-attentiveness, bhāvanātita satbhāvatu irutale, being in ones in, satbhava, in the state of being, which is bhāvanātita. Bhāvanātita here implies beyond all mental activity, uh, parabhakti tattvam, that is the, the nature of supreme devotion. And in the Sanskrit version he says, Baba sunya sat, Baba sastuti hi, balat uh, bhakti uttama. That means by the strength of meditation. That's referring to the Ananya bhava in the previous verse. Uh, standing firmly in the state of being, devoid of medita- uh, devoid of meditation. I mean, devoid of uh, of uh, um, of uh, bhavana, Devoid of mental activity is the best devotion. So, if we expand that slightly, to by or because of the strength of meditation, that implies that meditation on God is not separate from oneself, thereby standing firmly in Satbhava, the state of being, uh, which is devoid of meditation in, in the sense of mental activity, is the best or foremost devotion. It's bhakti uh, utama. So that is, so long as we are attending to anything other than ourself, our attention is moving away from ourselves. That is a mental activity. But when we turn our attention back to ourself, we subside back into our source. So all mental activity comes to an end and we remain in satbhava, the state of just being. And being in that state, that is the, the in Sanskrit he says bhakti utama, the, the, the best or the highest devotion. In Tamil, he says, Parabhakti tattva, the nature of supreme devotion. Um, so we remain in the state of being just by attending to ourself. So uh, when he says here, being ourself alone is knowing ourself, what we have to understand is how can we, how can we be ourself and thereby know ourself only by attending to ourselves. So long as we're attending to anything else, we are rising as ego, but when we turn our attention back within, to the extent to which we t- we look within, we will thereby sink within and remain in the state of just being. And that state of just being what we actually are, that is the state of knowing ourselves. Why? Because what what are we? We are ulidu uh, univahum. That is, uh, uh, what exists is only awareness. So being what being what exists is being mean being awareness being the awareness that we actually are we what we actually are is nothing but awareness so we when we remain as that pure awareness that is knowing pure awareness because pure awareness is never an object of knowledge it is it's our own being but uh but um uh So, being as we are, it means being the pure awareness that we actually are, and by being that pure awareness, we are knowing ourselves as pure awareness. That's why Bhagavan says, being oneself alone is knowing oneself. Knowing anything other than oneself is an action. Because our mind has to go away from ourselves to know some other thing. Our attention has to move away from ourselves. But being ourself, we can be ourselves just by allowing our attention to rest in ourself. Just to be the pure awareness that we actually are. That alone is knowing ourself. Um, because oneself is devoid of two. That is, there are no two selves. One self to know another self. We are one. So we cannot know ourselves as an object. We can know ourselves only by being ourself. Um, and then he says, this is Tanmaya Nishta. Uh, tanmaya means Tatmaya. Maya means um uh, uh means uh consisting of, and tat means that, where he's referring to Brahman. So uh, Tanmaya Nishta means the state in which we are remain firmly fixed and established as that uh, that that means tat means the, uh uh brahman so that is this is the state of being remaining as brahman by being ourselves we are thereby knowing ourselves and since what we actually are is brahman being ourselves is tanmaye so by as brahman in the sanskrit version of this verse uh, he he says the, the same thing but uh in, in similar words to the words he used in the previous passage, which is atma samstatihi uh, swatma darshanam, uh, atma uh atmanidvayat atma stataha." what that means is atma samstatihi means being oneself uh, Swatma darshanam, is that alone is seeing one's own self uh atmanidvaya um but, uh, um, because oneself, because Atma oneself is not two. Um, uh, so what what that means is that if we expand it slightly, um, being or standing firmly as oneself is Swatmadashanam. darshanam. That is being ourselves is knowing ourselves, because of oneself not being two. Um, um, that is, since we are not two, we cannot see ourselves as an object. So we can see what we actually are only by being what we actually are, namely pure awareness. Such it. Uh, this is uh, Atmanishchatah. This is uh, this is being uh, firmly or uh, steadily fixed uh, as, as oneself. Being firmly or steadily fixed as oneself or abiding as oneself or standing as oneself. Um, so does anyone have any questions on any of these verses so far? Sir, uh, yes. we, have, we have one question uh, on YouTube from Mr. Vinay Nayak, who is asking, uh, and I quote, mm. sir, how did you come to master Bhagwan's teachings so perfectly? Unquote. <laughs> um, firstly, Bhagavan's teachings are actually very simple. Um, so it is not difficult to master Bhagavan's uh, teachings. But w- why it seems difficult is because we have so many other ideas in our mind. Our mind is full of so many preconceived ideas and beliefs, and we we have our own habitual way of looking at things, whereas Bhagavan's teachings uh, stop us in our tracks and make us see everything, see ourselves and everything else in a completely different light. So unless we are ready to drop all our old way of viewing things, we won't be able to uh, see as Bhagavan's teachings, as, as Bhagavan wants us to see. So we um, Sadhuam often used to say, if you bring me a well a, a slate on which there's lots of scribblings and ask me to write the beautiful name of Ramana, first I will wipe the slate clean, and then only I'll write Bhagavan's beautiful name. Because if I don't wipe the slate clean, if I just write over all the scribblings, Bhagavan's beautiful name will just become one. It will be lost among all the scribblings. It'll become just one among all the scribblings. Likewise with our mind. We must be ready to set aside all our previous preconceptions and ideas and everything. So I was, I was lucky in one way. But when I came to Bhagavan, I was still very young. I hadn't read lots of philosophy or lots of books and things. I read a little bit because I was interested in these things. But I didn't have any clear understanding of these things. So when I, read Bhagavan, when I came to Bhagavan, I more or less had a fresh mind. That's one one advantage I had um by Bhagavan's grace only. Another advantage, Bhagavan brought me very soon after I came to Bhagavan, soon after I read Nanam and, and understood, all, oh, this is the path, this is Bhagavan is my guru, Bhagavan brought me in contact with Sadhuam. And I was with for just over eight years, eight and a half years or so with Sadhuam. Um that is what enabled me. To gain a deep understanding of Bhagavan's teachings, because uh, because uh, we, uh, we, uh, together with Sadhu Om, we, we translated all of Guruvatcha Kukubhai. we went through all of Bhagavan's original writings. Because, so because I studied all of these works and helped to translate these works, under his guidance I was able to imbibe from him a very deep understanding of Bhagavan's teachings. Also, I've got a very curious mind, so I always want to understand things correctly. If I, if I am not satisfied with my understanding, I will question and question and question until I get a, a clear understanding that I'm satisfied with. So I used to um, relentlessly question Sado-Om. and but questioning is good because the more we question, Provided our questions are relevant, not just asking irrelevant questions, but my questions were all focused on Bhagavan teachings. So the more I learned from him, the more deeper questions I had. And the deeper questions I had, the deeper answers I got. So it was a very good, um, it was a very good training for me, we can say, being those eight, eight and a half years with Sadhuam. When he left the body, I felt like an orphan because uh, I had I had grown to be so dependent on him for for understanding Bhagavan's teachings. But then I quickly understood that what Bhagavan had done by uh, keeping me in Sadhuam's company for eight years is Bhagavan was sowing the seeds of understanding in my mind. And since then, I mean, my understanding now is... Is much deeper, much more refined than it was in the days I was with Sadhuam. Uh so but so the process of of deepening my understanding, that was by Bhagavan's grace, that was uh, to a great extent stimulated or or initiated by those eight years I spent with Om. But once Bhagavan had started the process, it can only get deeper and deeper and deeper. So ultimately. It's all by his grace, but um, as I say, his teachings are very, very simple, but they are so contrary to all our, uh, like, what is our most basic, uh, most fundamental belief? I believe I am Michael. You believe you are Vinay. Each one of us is identifies with the, the name and form of a certain person. That is what we think we are. That is, it's not just think we are, it's actually our experience. My experience is I am Michael. So this is so deeply rooted in us. But Bhagavan challenges this. Bhagavan helps us to see that though we now experience ourselves with this Body as this person, this cannot be what we actually are because we exist in sleep without being aware of this person since we're aware of our existence in sleep but not aware of the existence of this body or this person we take ourselves to be, this person cannot be what we actually are if this person was what we actually are, we couldn't be aware of ourselves without being aware of this person we clearly are aware of ourselves in sleep without being aware of uh, um, the person we seem to be so. Bhagavan helps us to to see through the fallacy of of that and all our other experiences are based upon this false experience I am this body it's only when we're aware of ourselves as I am this body but we're aware of other things so our awareness of other things all our knowledge about other things is dependent upon this false awareness I am this body so it this it is since this false, this awareness I am this body is an erroneous awareness, anything known by this erroneous awareness must be erroneous. So if we want to know the truth of anything, we cannot know the truth of things without knowing the truth of ourselves. We cannot know the truth of anything else without knowing the truth of ourselves. So the only way to know the reality of all things is to know the reality of ourselves. Once we know the reality of ourselves, we will know what we actually are is Satchit. And what everything else is, is only Satchit, because Satchit is one and indivisible. So, um, I, and of course, the other most important thing in order to understand Bhagavan, it's not just the, it's not just by the intellect, by the by our reasoning and by our study and manan, uh, sravana manana. We cannot understand Bhagavan's teaching. Sravana manana are necessary part of the process, but by themselves, very inadequate. To really understand Bhagavan's teaching, we need to put them into practice. I can't say I've gone very deep in the practice, but I've gone deep. Uh, Deep enough, sufficiently to to gain whatever um, poor understanding I now have. So, it, ultimately, all our understanding comes by Bhagavan's grace. It is greatly a, that most important way to deepen our understanding is practice. Because when we are turning our mind within, we are turning our mind away from all this appearance, back to what is real, back to the light of pure awareness, shining in our heart as I am. So. By turning our attention within, we are, so, so to speak, bathing our mind in, in, in that pure light, light of pure awareness. So we, our mind is clarified to the extent to which we turn our attention within. Um, so that is most important. But in order to encourage us and motivate us to turn within, reading his teachings, thinking carefully about his teachings, understanding his teachings correctly is most important. Because if we haven't understood his teachings correctly, how can we practice them correctly? To the extent to which we've misunderstood or failed to understand his teachings, we will misunderstand or fail to understand the practice. Because all his teachings are all pointing us at this practice. Everything everything Bhagavan taught us is contributing to our understanding of what is this practice. So understanding his teachings is key to practice and practice is key to understanding his teachings it's it's an iterative process that is we we need to do we need to read his works carefully we need to think about them carefully and we need to put them into practice The more we read them and think about them, the more our understanding is deepened. The more our understanding is deepened, the deeper we go in the practice. The deeper we go in the practice, the more more clarity we'll bring to it when we next begin to read his teachings. So we begin to see greater and greater depth of meaning, depth of implication. Um, In other words, we see more and more clarity in his words the deeper we go in the practice. So it's not that we start off doing sravana, and then leave aside the sravana, do manana, leave aside the manana and, and then do nidhi It's not like that. These three go on hand in hand throughout our life. <clears throat> as, as one deepens, the, other will, the others will deepen. So the deeper our, our reading and our our sravana and our manana, the deeper we'll be able to go in the practice. The deeper we go in the practice, the deeper we'll be able to go in the sravana manana. So this is the process by which we understand more and more deeply. So I, I hope this is an adequate question answer to that question. But ultimately, we can say it in one word. It's all by one's grace, because all this process we are talking about, it's all driven by one's grace. The very fact that we are drawn to his path is only by his grace. Why are we so interested in following this path rather than in... Um, watching football or cricket or the news or um, having any other hobby or pastime or whatever. There's so many things in this world, but potentially, uh, but but uh, but uh, entice our mind to take interest in them. There's so many subjects that we'd be interested in. Intellectual pursuits. There are so many intellectual pursuits. If we're interested in physical pursuits, sports or so, There are so many types of sports. So there are so many things that can interest our mind but somehow we have been drawn to his teaching we're interested in his teachings so where did this interest come from it's only by his grace that we have been drawn to this path it's only by his grace that our interest and in our uh, is sustained it's only by his grace that we make the effort to turn within because why do we turn with him? Because we love to know who we are. Where does that love to know who we are come from? It comes only from him because he is love itself. So it's entirely by his grace. But his grace works through us. So we have to, we have to cooperate with grace by following the path. That's why Bhagavan says in the 12th paragraph of Nana, Kadavulum Guruvum unmayil verallah. God and Guru are in truth not different. Uh, Just as what has been caught in the jaws of a tiger will not return, in other words, will not escape. uh, So, just as what has been caught in the jaws of a tiger will not escape, um, will not return. uh, So, those who have been caught. In the look of Guru's grace, um uh guru bin Arupayal Pattavagaal, those who have been caught in the look of Guru's grace, in the glance of Guru's grace, uh Avaral Rakshika Padavare Andri Arukalam Kaividapada. Uh uh, they will ne- uh, will will never, they will surely be saved by him and will never be forsaken. Um, so Bhagavan, that's a great assurance Bhagavan gives us. But then he adds something, very important sentence. guru Nevertheless, it is necessary to walk unfailingly in accordance with the path that, uh, that Guru has shown. Does this mean that... His grace is is inadequate, but our effort is also needed. No. What it means is his grace will certainly save us. His grace is quite adequate to save us, but he will not force us against his will. So his grace will work through us, making us willing to turn within and merge back into the heart. So our walking unfailingly in accordance with his path, with the path that he has shown, in other words, are trying to turn our attention within to see who am I, that is yielding ourselves to his grace. That is cooperating with grace. Grace is trying to turn our, draw our attention back within to merge us back into the heart. But if we are constantly wanting to go outwards, we're obstructing the grace. So we can yield ourselves to the grace by trying our best to follow his path. It doesn't matter we we may not be we may feel we're not very successful, we may feel that our attention keeps on coming outward, but so long as we're trying, we are we are walking in the path that he has shown, and our salvation is therefore assured So I hope that is an adequate answer to that question. Uh, yes, uh, thank you so much. Mr. Vinay naik has been thanking you profusely on uh, on YouTube. And right. I have shared with you a question from Mr. Sushil Motwani, uh, who has put this on the YouTube uh, uh, as well. And okay. uh, I think there is another question from Sanjay Lohiaji. Yes. Okay. Shall I go, uh, since Sanjay is, uh, seems to have come first, I'll answer that first. Sure. Michael... Sure. Uh, do you go away from the UK off and on to secluded places to go into yourself deeper? To go into ourselves deeper, we don't need to, the body doesn't need to go anywhere. Wherever we are, we can go into ourselves. Uh, that is where the body happens to be, as Bhagavan said, that's all according to Prarabdha. If we have loved to go within, Bhagavan often used to say, If you have love to go within, even within a battlefield, you'll be able to go within. If you're not able to go within in a battlefield, you will not even be able to go within, even if you're sitting in a cave in the Himalayas. So it's not the outward circumstances that matter. It's the love to turn within. And that love comes only from his grace. So going here or there to find some secluded place. um, Yes, often I feel I would like to be more secluded. I'd like to uh, daily I'm getting dozens of WhatsApp messages, um, signal messages, um, questions by email and so on, so many things. Sometimes I feel, oh, it'd be nice just to withdraw from all these things. But this is the work Bhagavan has given me. So I shouldn't think that I can go into myself only if I give up all this work. Since Bhagavan has given me this work, let me do this work. But the main thing is, to be trying to go within. Whatever my body, speech or mind may be doing, um, you, we need to be trying to turn within. So actually, I'm very fortunate because people send me so many questions by, by WhatsApp and so on. I, every day I'm trying to answer people's di- a wide diversity of questions, but I'm trying to answer in the light of Bhagavan's teachings. So this keeps my mind dwelling on his teachings. This keeps encouraging me because because uh, when I answer questions, I'm trying to encourage other people to follow Bhagavan's path. That helps to encourage me to follow Bhagavan's path. So uh, I, I am very fortunate by Bhagavan's grace. He's um, Knowing what a fickle mind I've got, he's given me a work that keeps my mind dwelling on his teachings. So I, I am very, very blessed. If I go and sit in a cave in the Himalayas or on, on a mountain, top of a mountain or in some secluded place, my mind will be wandering out in the world because that's the nature of the mind. As Bhagavan sings in Natchita Ramalai, So that my mind, but is by, by its very nature, it's always roaming about the world, so that this mind may subside, seeing you always, show your beauty. So until his grace draws our mind within by showing us his true beauty, our mind will continue wandering about the world. So it's not the external circumstances that obstruct us. It's the very nature of our mind to wander in the world, even if we're sitting in a cave in the Himalayas or... If um, we go to some secluded place, wherever it may be, anywhere in the world, we, wherever we go, our mind goes with us. So our mind will continue going outwards until by His grace it is drawn within and we can cooperate with His grace by trying more and more to turn within. So go, going going away from the country or going away from the city where we live or going anywhere, going away from the circumstances we live within uh, in the midst of other people. We may have family, we may have uh, uh, work, we may have so many things. Um, Fortunately, I'm at least spared now having the burden of having to earn a living, so I'm able to devote my time to this. But um, there may be so many circumstances that seem to engage us in activity of mind, speech, and body. But whatever we may be doing by mind, speech, or body, we must exist. Do we not exist? We couldn't do anything if we didn't exist. And we we cannot exist without being aware of our existence because our, our very existence is awareness. So we are always aware I am. So the problem is not the activities. The problem is the interest we take in those activities rather than taking interest in our being. So in order to be as we actually are, we need to wean our mind off its interest in all these activities and take interest only in our being. The activities will go on as destined according to Pararabdha, but our mind will go more and more within. So it's, it's, we would be fooling ourselves if we think I'll be able to go deeper within if I go and sit in a cave in the Himalayas or if I change my circumstances, if I'm more in isolation, if I do less work, I'll be able to go within more. It's not so. but The obstacle to going within is only our viseyabhasanas, our liking to go outwards. That we have to deal with wherever we may be. So the circumstances in which Bhagavan has now placed us, these were the most favorable circumstances for our spiritual development. And then uh, Sushil Motwani has asked, uh, uh, Namoramanaya, Sometimes it is a little difficult to grasp that if Brahman alone exists, why there is so many bodies or living beings? To state the same question in another manner, are we all little selves but are the same material as God, material in inverted commas, i.e. existence awareness? Yes, yes, we are. Or is it that there is a connected underlying one single self but we are individual superimpositions on it. Please throw some light on this. That is what we actually are is only sat sat-chit. satchit means sat is being, chit is awareness. So the awareness of being, in other words, that awareness I am, that is sat We are all aware of ourselves as I am. But when we rise as ego, we are not aware of ourselves as just I am. We're aware of ourselves as I am this body. That is what Bhagavan refers to as uh, Vesa D or uh, Upadi Unavu, uh, that is the awareness of adjuncts or the, the, the sense of uh, having a costume. That is this. Our identity as I am this person, this person is just a basham, It's just a, a, a costume, a disguise. What we actually are is only the fundamental awareness I am. But so long as we rise as ego, it's our experience. I am this body. And so long as we experience ourselves as this body, we see so many other bodies. So since I seem to be this body, Every other body seems to be an I. So it seems to us there's a multiplicity of selves. Even in dream, when we're dreaming, in in a dream, we always experience ourselves as a person in that dream world. That person is not the dreamer. The dreamer is ego but is aware of itself as that person, because that person is a part of the dream, just like this person we now take ourselves to be is a part of this dream. So ego is not the person. Ego is that which identifies the person as I. But since ego always identifies the person as I, and it sees so many other people, it assumes all those other people are I. So if we talk to people in our dream, if we ask them, "Do you see this world?" they say, "Yes, of course we see this world, and we can see not only humans. Even we see animals in our dream. We may see dogs or cows or cats or elephants or whatever. They also seem to be aware of the world. If they're coming towards us and we stand in their way, they'll go round us. Or if it's an elephant, they may trample on us. But whatever it is, they'll be aware of our. They will seemingly be aware of our presence. So, so long as we are dreaming. Because we dream ourselves to be a person and we dream also that there are many other people, those other people seem to be selves just like us. So there seem to be a multiplicity of selves. This is what is called Nana Jiva Vada. This is what seems to be the case. But according to Bhagavan, there's actually only Eka There's only one Jiva. That one Jiva is ego. The ego who is that one um, Jiva? Is it Michael, or is it Sushil, or is it Sanjay, or, or who is it? we are so many of us uh, here uh, taking part in this uh, discussion. So which of us is the dreamer? The one who is aware of it. That is, uh, it seems to us that there are many others also taking part in the same conversation if we're having a conversation with someone the other person seems to be taking part in the conversation but who is the one who is aware of this that is the dreamer so we we, we, we that is the dreamer knows who is the dreamer because the dreamer is aware of itself as i so who whoever whatever is aware of itself as i that is the dreamer and that dreamer mistakes itself to be a person. And therefore, in the view of the dreamer, there seem to be so many others. But all those others exist only in the view of the dreamer. Not only do all those others exist in the view of the dreamer, even the person we seem to be exists in the view of the dreamer. The dreamer is ego. The dreamer is the, the, the ego is both the dreamer and the dreamer is the one who also sees the world. So, whoever is experiencing all this. That is the one jiva. That is ego. If that one ego turns its attention back to itself to find out who am I, if it looks within cleanly enough, that ego will subside back into its source and everything else will subside back into its source. And then what remains is the one such it. But so long as we're looking outwards, we have to act as if there's a multiplicity of, um, of people because... All the other people are just as real as the person I now mistake myself to be. So now, because I mistake myself to be Michael, Michael seems to me to be very important. I spend a lot of my time thinking about the comforts and convenience of Michael, making sure Michael has a comfortable place to say, has adequately warm clothing, has bath, has food every day, has water. So I'm taking such great care of Michael. Why? because I take Michael to be I, but Michael is no more important than any other person. So, if, so long as we are looking outwards, we have to have kindness and compassion and concern for all others. In the case of Bhagavan, we saw his supreme compassion. That is just one small example in, this, in, in Bhagavan's life shows I mean there's so many examples but there's one example that stands out among all examples when he was wandering on the north side of the hill and he saw the big banyan tree and he was approaching it while crossing a dry stream bed he and you know, climbing out of a dry, dry stream bed his thigh brushed against a bush and unknown to him in that bush there was a hornet's nest So the hornets got disturbed by him brushing against it, and so they all rushed out. So he just stood there, and uh, what had done wrong was that thigh, so he let the thigh take punishment. And those hornets, they didn't sting him anywhere except on the thigh. They stung the thigh, and when they had stung to their heart's content, they went away. And then obviously his legs—so leg, so hornet stings are very, very painful. So his, his legs uh, uh, became swollen. So he, he gave up looking for uh, trying to get to that banyan tree. And very, very slowly he hobbled back to uh, Virupakshi Cave. It would have been a very slow and painful walk. And when he got to Virupakshi Cave, the devotees there, seeing the condition of his leg, they applied um, oil and other things to soothe it. And after some days when the poison went down, they, because the, 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 when the hornets sting, they leave the sting, uh, it's like a small thorn or something, they leave it there. So when the swelling went down, those thorns they started to show. So then um, Parani Swami and others with p- pliers, they began to take out one by one by one. And there were hundreds and hundreds of them uh, stuck in his leg. So But such compassion Bhagavan had uh, for those hornets because he had disturbed them. He felt, yes, let them let them let them vent their anger on this thigh that has disturbed their their um, nest. So such was the compassion of Bhagavan. That's a, a very great example to us. We should have so much compassion to others. Not only should we have compassion to those we feel sorry for. Uh, that we may see someone hungry, and it's natural for us to give food to a hungry person. Or we, we may, people may come to us with all sorts of needs. But not only such people should be helped. Even those who give us so much trouble. There may in our life there may be people who give us endless trouble. We should be equally kind and compassionate to them. Just like those hornets gave so much trouble to Bhagavan, but he had he because Bhagavan's love is equal to all. Because he is, he doesn't see anyone from uh, from. From the highest God in heaven to the smallest insect, he doesn't see anything as other than himself. So he, because he loves everything as himself, because he, he knows everything as himself, he's aware of everything as himself, he loves everything as himself. So he had so much love and compassion for those hornets. So, yes, so long as we're looking outwards, for all practical purposes, for all intents and purposes, we can say very many jivas. there certainly seem to be, but when we want to turn within, we need to understand there's actually only one jiva. This whole dream, both this huge world with all its problems, its wars and its famines and its pandemics and its injustices and cruelties and uh, diseases and death and bereavement and all these things, all these exist only in the view of a dreamer. Because it's all a dream, so what is the best way? What is the only way we can uh, solve all the problems of the world in one stroke? We have to wake up from a dream. In other words, we have to put an end to a dreamer. If if we wake up from a dream without Ending the dreamer, the dreamer will go on ending, go on dreaming. That's why we we take so many this is samsara, one life after another life after another life. It's one dream after another dream, because the dreamer doesn't die. So we need to wake up in such a way, we need to wake up to our real nature. In other words, we need to know ourselves as we actually are. Then only will the dreamer die, because the dreamer is the false awareness. I am this body. That, that which is aware of its uh, ego is that which is always aware of itself as I am this body. When this body dies, it will catch hold of another body. As Bhagavan says in verse 25 of Uruvittu, Urupacham, leaving form it grass form. So we will be jumping from one dream to another. In each dream, we dream ourselves to be a different person, but the dreaming will continue. And every dream will be full of so many wars and famines and pandemics and all sorts of problems until we until we put an end to the dreamer we can put an end to the dreamer only by surrendering ourselves completely by turning back within and merging back into our heart om namo bhagavate sri